Well, here we are, uh, another December, and I appreciate uh, Joe and Abner giving me an opportunity uh, at the beginning of the so-called Christmas season to um, talk a little bit today about the theology of Christmas carols. And the, the real gist of it, the reason that uh, I'm interested in it, is the subtitle of my message this morning, which is, what am I singing? Um, one, of the, one of my pet peeves, or one of the things I guess that bothers me, is when people mindlessly recite things or mindlessly sing things. Um, and so one of my goals today, actually my primary goal today, aside from honoring Christ, uh, is to get us all to think about what we sing when we sing. Um, and I think that if you're doing true worship, you have to do that. Otherwise, you are doing what Jesus warned us against, which is just mindless repetition. And so that's kind of the goal today. Uh, and uh, I'm focusing on the theology of, of the Christmas carols that we sing, some of them. Obviously, I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, we don't have time for that, although I could because I went through all of them. Um, but uh, I had to funnel it down to, to a few. Um, we should probably all begin uh, by singing, Joy to the world. No, let's not do that. Because <laughs> that's not a Christmas song. It's not. It's about the second coming of Christ. But be, uh, let me not be diverted here. All right, so... Christmas carols, what does it mean? My wife asked me on the, on the way in this morning, you know, what's a Christmas carol? And uh, without going into a musicology les- lesson, uh, let me just say that there are, there are a number of different definitions. I have my own definition, which I'm using this morning. Some, some of you know that I like to use my own definitions of things. My definition is, it's in the hymns of grace, If it's in the hymns of grace under the section that talks about Christmas, then I'm counting it as a Christmas carol. Um, And there's a distinction, by the way, between Christmas carols and Christmas songs. For example, um, one of the songs that I really love is Mary... Did you know? Uh, And it's not a Christmas carol, because it's not a traditional song, etc., and so forth. It's a Christmas song. And there are a lot of, of really good Christmas songs that have been written in recent years. Those aren't in my message today. Um, I'm looking at the traditional ones that are in Hymns of Grace. Okay, That's the limitation that I gave myself. And I really appreciated... Um, I, I asked Chris, actually, to uh, do a couple of Christmas songs this morning, uh, Christmas carols this morning, and I gave him a group of four to choose from, and he choose the, chose the two that I wanted him to choose without telling him that, uh, main, mainly because I like those two better than the other two. Uh, and so we're going to take a little walk through theology through the words in Christmas carols, so that when you sing Christmas carols for the rest of this month, Hopefully, every once in a while, 
it'll lock into your brain that this is talking about something important. It's not just something warm and fuzzy. It's not just something that you experienced as a child with your parents, but it's something that matters in eternity. And I also appreciated, I didn't uh, actually talk to Dr. MacArthur before his message this morning. I usually do to make sure he's got it right. (laughs) But I appreciated him putting the focus on Christ because Christmas is Christ. It's about Christ. And by the way, nothing else. It's about Christ and who Christ is and what he's done and what he will do, his mission, his work, etc. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So uh, turn in your Bibles to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, This is my all-time favorite Christmas carol, so I'm starting here. Um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So what's the theology in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? The first verse says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Right off the bat, you get some theology here, because this is about the messianic promise to Israel, the promise of a Messiah. So now you can turn your Bibles to Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. And by the way, I'm going to do this quickly. So uh, if you don't turn in your Bible quickly, you're going to get behind. You might get lapped eventually. So uh, we'll see how fast you can go. So Isaiah 7, verse 14. Here's a passage you've probably never heard before. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold... A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That's the basis of this first opening line in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, my Bible has Emmanuel spelled with an I, and you have it spelled with an E. Well, I have it spelled with an E because the writer of the song spelled it with an E, and they did it because different versions of the Bible use E's and I's. This is the King James uses E, and the author, I think, wrote it on that basis. So the E and I are, are interchangeable here. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, same thing, okay? Um, and let's focus on this term, Emmanuel. I changed it to I here because that's what my version of the Bible has. Um, Emmanuel. This means God with us. We could just end the message right here. Because we're talking about the theology of Christmas carols, and the theology of Christmas carols is God with us. It is the incarnation. That is what Christmas is. It's the incarnation. It's God becoming man and dwelling with us, as some of these other carols are going to say. If you go one chapter over in Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 8, then it will sweep on into Judah, will overflow and pass through, will reach even the neck, and the spread of its wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And then verse 10, continuing that, that thought, verse 10 Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. There you have in the space of these two verses, closely connected to each other, what Emmanuel means. 
He's restating. It's Emmanuel and God with us. It's the same thing. Uh, and then, of course, in, the, in Matthew 1, in one of our traditional Christmas stories that we go to at this time of year, in Matthew 1... When Joseph has his dream that God gives to him, we have this Isaiah 7.14 quoted, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So right off the bat on this, in this Christmas carol, we have this fundamental principle that is really the fundamental principle Um, theological principle of Christmas itself. God with us. Uh, He goes on to say in the first verse at the end, until the Son of God appear. This is, of course, a reference to the deity of Christ, that Christ is God with us. It's another reference at the end of that first verse of the song, to the deity of Christ, to God with us. The second verse, the second verse talks about death's dark shadows put to flight. Death's dark shadows put to flight. This is a reference to Christ's victory over death. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, Christ, likewise also, also partook of the same. What? The same, flesh and blood. He partook of the same, flesh and blood, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So this is now looking forward to what Christ will do as God with us. And that's what the carol is looking forward to, putting death's shadows to flight, ending death, the victory over death. Verse 3. I've got to move along quicker here. All right. Verse 3 talks about the rod of Jesse. Well, this isn't a random phrase. This is a reference to the Davidic line, the kingship of Christ. Look back at Isaiah. Sorry, Isaiah is going to be popular today. When I was teaching, by the way, in our Bible study, I was teaching through the Bible, a book per lesson. And I had, we had a fundamental rule. I would teach a book per lesson. And the end of each lesson was, what does this book teach us about Christ? And we did that all the way through the Bible, except, with one exception, With the book of Isaiah, we had one lesson on summarizing the book of Isaiah and one whole lesson on what Isaiah teaches about Christ. Um, So we can't help but go back and forth to Isaiah regularly. So look at Isaiah verse 11, verse 1, concerning the rod of Jesse. Then a shoot will come from the stem of Jesse, And a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This is a reference to the Davidic line, the kingship of Christ. He is a rod of Jesse. 
And then in verse 3 of this carol, it talks about freeing us from Satan's tyranny. Jump back to the New Testament, Colossians 1. Dr. MacArthur was in Colossians 1 today. Colossians 1, verse 13. The carol is talking about how Christ will free us from Satan's tyranny. That's what Paul talks about in Colossians 1, verse 13. For he, Christ, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Then, one more. Wait a minute. Uh, Okay, I didn't put this one up. Um, And then it says at the end of verse 3, Thy people save. Let's just look at verse 3. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell, thy people save, and give them victory or the grave. Look at Acts 26. Acts 26, verse 18. It's again talking about what God with us will do. Excuse me, Acts 26, verse 18. Here's Paul speaking to Agrippa and presenting the gospel to him. And he says about Jesus, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. So, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it's all about God with us, and it's about what God with us will do. Not only as the promised Messiah for Israel, and that's one of the things I love about this carol, is it ties together the promise of the Messiah to Israel with Uh, what we understand as Christian doctrine. All right, so let's turn to another carol, which is, by the way, misnamed. Um, Perhaps you've never noticed that uh, in the accounts of the incarnation of Christ, the angels do not sing. In fact, I can only find one place in the entire Bible in which angels sing. I'm sure Abner knows 12. But I can only find one place, and and I appreciate it again, Dr. MacArthur tapping into my message and mentioning it this morning. Revelation 5 is the only place I can find in the Bible in which angels actually sing. In all the other places we think they're singing, it, it just says they say. They are saying and that's what they did, uh, but be that as it may, it's a, it's a quibble here. Uh, Hark the herald angels say, it should be, but it doesn't rhyme with king. So let's look at uh, some of the theology we see here. It talks about the newborn king, the everlasting Lord, and Christ the king. And we all understand this. This is talking about I don't know, the kingship of Christ. It's pretty straightforward. Um, But the real key, actually, this is the carol that gave me the idea of doing this whole thing. 
because of the next line in the carol. God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. Christmas is all about Jesus. It's about the incarnation. It's God with man, but it's God with man reconciling man to himself. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about a lot of other stuff that's attached to it. And uh, for this, we need to go to my favorite Christmas passage in the entire Bible, Isaiah 59. I did a... Isaiah 59. Look at Isaiah 59, verse 2. God says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Then go to verse 16 of Isaiah 59, and God has the solution to that problem, which is what Christmas is. And he saw that there was no man. He was looking for someone to solve this. And he said there was no man. There was a, he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. God knew there was no one who could intercede except him to solve this division, this separation between God and man. So now go to 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, for those of you who are still trying to keep up. 1 Peter 3, 18. Write this one down if you're not keeping up, because this is what Christmas is about. For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been, made, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. God said in Isaiah 59, there's no one who can, who can heal this separation, who can reconcile God and man. I have to do it myself. And that's what... Peter is talking about here in 1 Peter 3, 18, and that's what this carol is talking about. God and sinners reconciled. If you don't get anything else out of any of these carols, get that line. That's what it's about. But there is more here. As you know, verse 2 talks about him being the offspring of the virgin's womb. And I won't take you back to Isaiah 7.14 because we already read it, but that's where we see it, that he would be born of a virgin. The virgin birth, a fundamental doctrine of Christianity, is right there. And then connected to it is what we've been talking about, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. The writer of this hymn, this carol, gets it. It's the incarnation of Christ. That's what Christmas is. It's the Godhead veiled in flesh. Philippians 2, we're familiar with Philippians 2 for a lot of reasons, but probably not connected with Christmas, but it should be. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. 
talking about Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. It's about the incarnation. It's Christ the God-man. Verse 2 also talks about him being pleased as man with men to dwell. This is the humility of the incarnation that we just read in Philippians 2, 6. He humiliated himself to become a man for us. And then, pleased with man, pleased as man with men to dwell, and then again, Jesus, our Emmanuel. This is God with us. Again, God with us. And it, it pleases me that so many of the Carol writers got this. Uh, and it bothers me that many of them didn't. Um, It's all about God coming to be us in order to reconcile us. God with us. Then the third verse talks about the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6, which Dr. MacArthur read this morning. Isaiah 9, 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will, be, will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now this is a generic term for peace, but a key element of this generic term for Prince of Peace is peace between God and men. That's what it's fundamentally about. He brings peace, not only among men, but peace between God and men. We're back to reconciliation again. God reconciling, closing this gap between men and God. Then he's identified here in verse 3 of Hark the Herald Angels Sing as the Son of Righteousness. This is taken directly from Malachi or if Will Varner was here, Malachi. <laughs> Malachi 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Does that sound familiar, those of you who know the hymn? The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. That is, Jesus will be the bringer of righteousness. The Son of Righteousness Uh, When the sun rises, it brings the day. When he rises, he brings righteousness. The bringer, the provider of righteousness. And then again, mild he lays his glory by. Back to Philippians 2. Jesus laying aside his glory as God, very God, and becoming man. The humility of his incarnation on our behalf. Born... 
that man no more may die is, of course, a reference to, along with give them second birth, uh, it's a reference to the resurrection and then Christ as Savior. He was born that man no more may die because of the resurrection, and he was born to raise the sons of earth, give them second birth. He is, was brought, he was, uh, came to save us. Born to raise the sons of earth again, the resurrection. It's all about Christ. It's about who Christ is. It's about who Christ, why Christ came and what he came to do. That's what the good Christmas carols are about. The theologically sound Christmas carols, like Hark the Herald Angels Say. Speaking of angels, let's turn to another one. Angels from the realms of glory. Verse 1 talks about proclaiming Messiah's birth. This is once again the promise of the Messiah. Okay? Then the second verse says, God with man is now residing. Sound familiar? God with us. Emmanuel. God with man is now residing. And it's also, by saying God with man is now residing, is also again referring to uh, the deity of Christ, the incarnation, God with us. Then it says in verse, um, verse 2 of Angels from the Realms of Glory, Yonder shines the infant light. Now, you might notice that... Um, Light here is capitalized. The infant light. This is a reference to Jesus being the light of the world. In John 8, 12, it's not, it's not a reference to the, the shining light of the angel or any of this other. It's talking about Jesus. He is the infant light. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. And there are numerous passages in which Jesus identified as the light of the world. And then verse 4, and the chorus throughout Angels from the Realms of Glory is about Christ the King. Christ the King. All right. Another one of my favorites, just always because I just like the music, but now I like it too because of the lyrics, now they've paid attention. We Three Kings. We Three Kings. It's not We Three Kings of Orion Tar, like some people think. Um, we Three Kings. Um, second verse of We Three Kings, born a king, and then king forever over us all to reign. This is a reference, of course, to Christ as king. Third verse, a deity nigh. A deity nigh. Uh, The third verse, frankincense to offer have I, incense owns, that is, recognizes a deity nigh. 
There is a deity close. This is a person offering his frankincense, and there is a deity nigh. That is God. Christ is God. It's God with us once again. And then it says, worship him, God on high. It's about the deity of Christ. Then the fourth verse, where myrrh is offered, talks about him bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. This is a reference to Jesus the suffering servant. Jesus the suffering servant and his sacrifice. Acts 26 Acts 26, verse 23. When Paul, again, is is later in his uh, speaking to Agrippa and preaching to him, he says in verse 33, actually, let's go back to verse uh, 22, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. For example, Isaiah 53 that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That the Messiah must suffer. Mark 15. A well-known passage. Mark 15, verses 44 to 46. And Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. And summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen sheet, took him down, wrapped him in the linen sheet, and laid him in a tomb, which had been hewed out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So the carol here says, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. And that's, of course, exactly what happened to Jesus ultimately. Then, however, that's not the end. Verse 5 says, Behold him rise. He doesn't stay in the tomb. Immediately after, it, immediately after the reference to the tomb, it is glorious now, behold him rise. The resurrection And, of course, there are uh, many verses concerning that. But looking in Acts again, a couple of crucial ones. Acts 17.31, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The reality of the resurrection and the purpose, in one sense, for the resurrection, which is to have God affirm who Jesus was and what he did. And Peter, in the very first sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, emphasizes this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. And then the last verse, also, 05 of We Three Kings says this, glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. 
king and God and sacrifice. And it's uh, playing off of the three offerings uh, that you've no doubt heard talked about before, frankincense, incense, and, uh, and um, myrrh, gold. Frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Um, and how they relate to the three different roles of Jesus as priest, as sacrifice, and as king. And that's what the, the uh, hymn writer talks about. And we see it in Hebrews chapter 9, spelled out for us. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. As the sacrifice, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then in chapter 10, verse 10, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And the writer of the carol expresses that in just five words, King and God and sacrifice. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, I know all this stuff. I hope you do. All I'm doing is trying to get you to see it in what you're going to be singing throughout this season, because it's there. Let's turn to another carol, the first Noel. You have to get to verse 3 before you get much theology in first Noel, but you get there. Uh, Verse 3 It says, to seek for a king, and refers to the king of Israel. Once again, Christ the king, and the promise of the Messiah. Then in verse 4, refers to our heavenly Lord, the deity of Christ, who hath made heaven and earth, a reference to Jesus the creator. John 1, 3, of course, which is my second favorite Christmas passage, John 1. John 1, 3, after talking about Jesus being the Word and being God, it says in verse 3, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into a being that has come into being. Uh, Colossians 1 again, verse 16, For in him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Hebrews 1 2. Hebrews 1 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus the Creator, as well as God. And it also says in verse 4, With his blood, mankind he hath bought. And we were there today also in the earlier service. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. 
In him, we have redemption through his blood. Jesus, the Redeemer, buying us out of Satan's domain, out of the kingdom of darkness, buying us out of our slavery to Satan, and bringing us to slavery to God, which is ultimate freedom in a sense. So the first Noel. Then we turn to two reluctant ones. I I should skip, no, I guess not. These are two Christmas curls I have never liked. I'm famous at the Masters University for leaving the room when they sing one of them. Um, Just because I don't like the music of them. Let me me be clear. Just because I don't like the music of them. But now, I actually sang them in the other service because I have to because the lyrics are so good. So here we go. Oh, come all you faithful. Verse 1. He's identified as the king of angels and God, very God. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him born the king of angels. But in the later verse, in verse 2, it says, God of God, light of light eternal, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. Gosh, this is so good that I just now I, I have to like this song. <laughs> it's really annoying. Um, it's about, of course, the deity of Christ, and we'll come back to another part of it in a minute. The, the second verse talks about light of light eternal. We already talked about this, right? Jesus, the light of the world. It's not the light of uh, the angels or the, the, you know, the, the glowing aura of the nativity scene, that's not what the light is. It's the light eternal. It's Jesus, who he is, the light of the world. Then again, we have the humility of the incarnation. He abhors not the virgin's womb. He abhors, he, he doesn't hate the womb, He comes in the womb. He humiliates himself from being God. He becomes a man and and is delivered like a man. And man there is generic, ladies. Like a human. And then again, he abhors not the virgin's womb, the virgin birth. But my favorite part of this one is this God begotten, not created. Because it, what it does is, in a simple phrase, it cleans up the mistakes so many Christmas carols and so many Christmas songs have, which is to just talk about the birth of Jesus as if he's just a baby. And this is why a lot of these songs, I'm going to argue a little later, if I don't run out of time, uh, are popular culturally because they present a Jesus that is not threatening, He's a baby. And unless we get to the reality of who that baby is, then it's a non-threatening, culturally acceptable Jesus. And the writer of this 
Carol doesn't let us do that. Because he talks about very God, um, verse 2, God of light, et- light of light eternal, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. And this is, the key here is what so many people miss also in John 3.16, that Jesus is not created when he is born, he's begotten. And we think begotten, we think created. But he's not created, he is just begotten. He comes to be a man but he is not created. He is very God. And and the sonship here reflects his position, not procreation. I just need one more P word and I've got a sermon. Position, not procreation. And Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, not the first one born, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. He's the firstborn, not the first one born. The firstborn, position, the heir, that's what his sonship is. Hebrews 1, again, Hebrews 1, verse 2, In these last days God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Verse 6, And when he again brings the firstborn, Into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Why would all the angels of God worship him? Because the angels are only allowed to worship God, oh, because he's God. And he's not coming into being, he is coming into being as a man. But he is the firstborn, the heir. He's not the first one born. Have I said that enough different ways? (laughs) This is so good. Very God, begotten, not created. You didn't know there was that much theology in a Christmas carol, did you? And then, verse 4, Jesus, to thee all be all glory given. Reference to the glory of Jesus. Verse 9, But we do see him who has been made for a little while, made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 1 Peter 4, 11 Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. 
and Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And then also in verse 4, word of the Father, referring to Jesus as the word of God, John 1. Again, the incarnation. Now in flesh, appearing. The word, now in flesh. The incarnation. I still don't like the music. One other, this is the one that I'm famous for always leaving the room on. Didn't today, won't ever again. Probably. Silent night. Now, because, and and this is partly Paul Plew's fault. (laughs) My dear friend, Paul Plew. Because he cannot do this song without telling the story. And the story all hinges on highlighting the the manger scene, the nativity, the the mother and child, and so on and so forth. And that to me is one of the things that causes so much trouble with Christmas songs. The focus on the material stuff, um, the cute baby, and the um, anyway. <laughs> but if you get past that, there's some real theology in this song. Verse one: the famous round yon virgin, mother and child. Round yon virgin mother and child. It's the virgin birth. Second verse, Christ the Savior is born. Third verse, the Son of God, the deity of Christ once again. And by the way, you might remember how Mark started his gospel and how John ended his which I think is interesting. Mark, let's see what would be the beginning of Mark. Oh yeah, 1-1. One, one. Mark 1-1. One, one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How does John end his gospel? Well, not quite the end, but nearly. John 20, verse 31, these have been written. Verse 30, he says, many other signs Jesus performed, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Son of God. Verse 3, with the dawn of redeeming grace. Again, Jesus the Redeemer. Salvation by grace, as Dr. MacArthur also read today in Ephesians 2.8, which is a but God verse, by the way. Um, With the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus the Redeemer and salvation by grace is here in this Christmas carol. And, of course, Jesus Lord at thy birth, the deity of Christ.
So these are the seven carols that I chose to go through in some detail just to highlight not new stuff. This isn't new stuff. These are fundamental doctrines of Christianity. What's new is to recognize that they're there in these Christmas carols so that we can worship when we sing these Christmas carols over the next three weeks rather than just, oh, I sang this when I was seven. (laughs) And, oh, I remember when I was in the school play and we did... We've got to focus our attention on what we're doing when we worship and what we're saying. Now, I want to distinguish these carols and and some others like them. Like I said, I could have done a bunch. uh, From other sort of traditional songs of the season. And I want to warn us against certain things. This is where I make people mad. Um... I want to warn us about culturally acceptable carols. And I'm not, I'm not saying that these songs are bad. I'm just, when I say warn, I just mean have your antenna up concerning things. And particularly, there's three things that I think make carols culturally acceptable. If you disagree with me, fine. One is focus on the nativity scene itself. So carols like the birthday of the king. Uh, yeah, it recognizes the king, but it doesn't tell us who the king is. And one of the things that one of the things that makes some carols acceptable is they talk about the king, but they don't distinguish who the king is. And so he could be the king of Ethiopia, he could be the king of Great Britain, he could be anybody. And so um, a little town of Bethlehem, it has some good stuff in it, but it's fundamentally about the bucolic scene. The bucolic scene. The little town. And the cattle. And so on and so forth. And they were there, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's, there's anything wrong with it. It's just that this is what makes it okay for people who don't believe in Christ to love these songs and for Jews like Neil Diamond to sing them. And then the second thing that makes some culturally acceptable is the eternal baby. Like a way in the manger. He's, he's not anything more than a baby. And this is again, what make, this is the non-threatening Jesus. To the extent that we focus on the baby rather than who the baby is, we are feeding this ability of people to bypass what this thing is all really about. There's nothing wrong with singing about the baby. He came as a baby. But we shouldn't focus on the baby part, in my opinion. Thirdly, Some, like it came upon a midnight clear, and I heard the bells on Christmas Day, focus on social and temporal matters. They focus on him bringing peace among men. They focus on uh, someday uh, solving our problems and making people happy 
And there's nothing wrong with that. He does all those things. He came to do those things. But those things absent the core of who he is and the fundamental reason that he came to to bring reconciliation and peace, goodwill to men. That isn't what it says. That isn't what it says in the Bible. It says peace and goodwill what? With men with whom he is pleased. It's not just generic peace to all men and good for all men. It's men with whom he, God, is pleased. But we let people do this. And we don't point it out and people go to hell because they think it's just all about God bringing a nice baby who's going to make people like each other. So that's one set, culturally acceptable carols. Another set is Wintermas songs <laughs> that aren't They're not Christmas songs because they're not about Christ. They're Wintermas songs. They're about winter. You realize there is absolutely no biblical reason to believe that this has anything to do with winter. The Bible doesn't talk about snow. It doesn't talk about December. It doesn't talk about anything having to do with snow. I'm not saying it's wicked to sing songs about winter. I'm saying you should start singing those songs the beginning of November and keep singing them until the end of January because you're singing the praises of winter. Don't focus them on Christmas because they have nothing to do with Christmas. The former president of the Masters University when it was Los Angeles Baptist College, a dear, dear man, I loved him dearly, his favorite song of every song in the world was Winter Wonderland. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. As long as you don't link it falsely to Christmas to divert attention away from what Christmas is. Christmas has nothing to do with winter. We don't know whether it was winter or spring or what it was that Christ came. And even if we did know, it still wouldn't be about the, the, the time of year or the weather. My favorite Wintermas song, and I love Wintermas songs. I started playing them at the beginning of November. <laughs> I love Wintermas songs, some of them. My favorite Wintermas song, but let me just give an illustration. My favorite Wintermas song is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Beautiful song, I think. But you know what happened when the writer of that song became a believer? Did you know the writer of that song became a believer shortly before he died at age 83? He rewrote the lyrics because he realized that it wasn't about Christmas. You know what the new lyrics are? Have yourself a blessed little Christmas. Christ the King is born. Let your voices ring upon this happy morn. Have yourself a blessed little Christmas. Serenade the earth. Tell the world we celebrate the Savior's birth. 
Let us gather to him and bring to him our praise, Son of God. Sing hosannas, hymns, and hallelujahs as to him we bow. He realized that the song he'd written was a wonderful wintermas song, but it had nothing to do with Christmas. And now that he's a believer, he felt obligated to change the words. You can go online and hear Johnny Erickson sing it with the new lyrics. All right. There's one more set. (laughs) Satan Claus songs. (laughs) These are not Christmas songs, not Wintermas songs. These are Santamas songs. Santamas songs. These songs, as you know, are about elves, reindeer, magical sleighs, stockings, toys, and Satan Claus himself. (laughs) The focus of Christmas is on Christ, God with us, redeeming and reconciling men. The focus of Santamus is A, to provide a way to avoid or ignore the reality of the Incarnation. So that people don't have to face the reality or even address the reality of the incarnation because they have some other cutesy story to feel warm fuzzies about. It's a focus on linking the supernatural nature of the incarnation with fantasy and myth. The virgin birth gets lumped in with some guy flying around the world on a sleigh. And magical elves. It's all part of the season. It's all together in most people's minds. And the virgin birth then becomes just another of these fantasies, these myths. Thirdly, it's... Focus is to make the incarnation simply one of several stories of the season. And this one is one that presents a non threatened. uh, This one has a counterfeit gift giver of impeccable character. He's a saint, after all, who operates on the basis of the world's false religions being good. Not on the gift giver who gave us gifts because we weren't good when we were yet sinners. They get one that feeds their narrative. And to the extent that we promote it, we feed their narrative. I'm going to go out on a limb. I can't prove it, it's not in Scripture. This is a satanic plot. If it's not a satanic plot, this is what I tell people, if it's not a satanic counterfeit, could he possibly have come up with a better plot to allow people to avoid confronting the reality and implications of the incarnation of God in human flesh? Satan presents himself as an angel of light to deceive people. And in Revelation with the Antichrist, he creates a false trinity of Satan, 
the Antichrist, and the false prophet to match the true trinity. Satan does counterfeits all the time. So let's end on a happier note. Let's compare the focus of Christmas with the focus of Wintermas or Santamas. Christmas focuses on God's plan of salvation and reconciliation between God and men. Christmas focuses on God becoming man by means of a virgin birth, a miraculous, not fantastic or mythical event, a miraculous historical event. Christmas focuses on Jesus' true identity, his mission in this world, and his ultimate exaltation. And Christmas focuses on God's fulfillment of his promises, not just to us, but to his people, the messianic promise. So as we enter the so-called Christmas season, I encourage you to pay attention to how you celebrate the awesome reality of the eternal holy God humbling himself to become man and sacrificing himself in order to restore sinful, rebellious people to himself. As you sing or listen to the traditional songs of the season, I challenge you to pay attention to the words. It might just make this Christmas a special one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, but Father, most of all, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for his willingness to humble himself Come and be a sacrifice to reconcile us to you. We pray, Father, that you'd make us grateful, thankful people. Amen.